1: to Clubhouse Conversation. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Clubhouse Conversation, the place where we always talk Royals baseball by catching up with your favorite current and former Royals players. It's Devo, and today we're joined by Jeff Schultz, who played for the Royals from 1989 to 1990 at the Major League level as a reserve outfielder. Jeff Schultz, a guy that was outstanding defensively, but also one of those classic guys as he came up through the minor leagues that could roll out of bed and hit 300. He did that his first four seasons in the minor leagues for KC, hit 300, worked his way up to Omaha, spent several years, though, in Omaha before KC ultimately gave him a shot in late 1989. Jeff Schultz, though, a guy from Evansville, Indiana, That grew up with Don Mattingly. They were teammates from elementary school and on all the way through high school. They, of course, won a state baseball title, not surprisingly, up there in Evansville. But Jeff was taken in the 23rd round by the Royals, discovered by Art Stewart. And we'll catch up with him and talk about all that and so much more. It's Jeff Schultz on Clubhouse Conversation. How's everything going?
0: Going very well, thank you.
1: Up in Evansville doing real estate these days, right?
0: Yes, that's true. Very good active
1: market right now. Good, good. Did you uh, get you know, watch the Royals at all in the 2014 playoffs at all, follow along with them?
0: I did. I surely did. I was very excited and very proud of them.
1: Well, speaking of baseball, I know you've done some coaching in, uh, in recent years as well at the high school level and, and Legion ball level in the past also, and the hitting coach for the Evansville Otters back in '03, the pro team up there. Are you still doing any kind of coaching these days?
0: Uh, not coaching anymore, just giving private hitting lessons.
1: Cool. Cool. Well, the next question is very important to me. So I, I know you've had a bobblehead up there, right? Correct. Now, where do I find one of these things? I've been looking on eBay. Do they still exist up there? Are they in circulation somewhere?
0: Uh, you know, I'm not 100% sure. I know I've got several uh, here. I could send you one, but I'm not sure how, to, how they marketed them and where they're being marketed at.
1: Were you impressed with how you turned out on the bobbleheads?
0: Well, I thought I was better looking than that, but, well.
1: <laughs> oh, nice. Well, let's turn back the clock and go way back then. So you played baseball at uh, Memorial High School in Evansville and with Don Mattingly, and you helped lead the team to the 78 Indiana State Championship. So when you think back to, to winning state, you know what were your favorite memories of that time?
0: Trying to do the right things every day. Um, extra work after practice, before practice, you know, on Sundays. Always striving to to be a better player. Donnie and I always pushed each other uh, to be better. Always competitive. Uh, no matter what we were doing, we were always competing against one another to to win.
1: Did you grow up with uh, with Maddenly then? Like since I mean, how how long had you known him for?
0: Uh, since grade school. Wow. We played little league together and all stars and Babe Ruth Legion and high school ball.
1: So were you – I mean, did you two kind of push each other a lot to make each other better growing up then?
0: We did. Yes, we did. We also had – both of us had older brothers that we competed against. So uh, Di and I would would butt heads with them. Him and I would be teammates and go against our older brothers. And um, we'd play games after, after practice. Him and I would stay in the hitting cages and play, play competitive games against one another.
1: Now, after high school, you went to uh, Western Kentucky and then the University of Southern Indiana, where you would eventually go in the Hall of Fame in 2012. So what made you choose to go to, uh, you know, to Southern Indiana, and then what are your favorite memories of college?
0: Well, I had an offer to play football at Western Kentucky uh, and baseball. So I went to Western Kentucky for the first year, and uh, after being there, they were going to uh, force me to play one sport. And being a uh, cocky teenager I was going to show them that I wasn't going to stay there and do that so I told them never mind I would, I wasn't going to play either so I came back home and went to a local school home to get my education and play baseball for fun on the side and uh, took it from there
1: well, like so many others, Royals Hall of Fame scout Art Stewart found you, and they, you know, the Royals took you eventually in the 83 draft in that 23rd round. So were the Royals the team that you were expecting to choose you?
0: No. Actually, I wasn't. Um, you know, I was one of those kids that worked hard, uh, didn't expect anything. If I got drafted, it wasn't I wasn't going to be picky. I was just excited and felt privileged to be drafted by a major league team because back then – Uh, There weren't as many players, many teams, so just being drafted, period, was an honor.
1: Can you remember any conversations you had with Art before the draft, or or the first time he saw you, or anything like that?
0: No, I remember one tryout, he told me to give it the best I could, and uh, after I had the tryout, I did well hitting, and then they wanted me to throw in the outfield, so I threw in the outfield, and had four perfect throws with my arm, so I was... I felt cocky, so uh, the thing I remember the most is one, running in from the outfield with that cockiness in me, thinking I just showed them. And <laughs> r- right as I got to the dugout, I tripped and fell <laughs> flat on my right in front of the dugout. I was like, "Okay, well, that that just got me uh, taken out of the draft."
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, you end uh, you end up signing with the Royals, and you began your career with a ton of success. So first of all, you go to Butte. And you hit 327 with 7-and-55 in just 61 games. And then you were 10th in the Pioneer League in batting, 9th in slugging. You played with a young Kevin Seitzer and Tom Edens on that team. So what are your favorite memories of that that first summer in Butte?
0: Well, mainly uh, financial. We uh, weren't making much money, so we stayed in an old abandoned, kind of old abandoned home. Uh, There were six guys in there living, kind of on the floor, on the couch had to walk a mile to you know practice none of us had cars so we walked a mile uphill to to practice and uh... one day getting to practice the cows got loose and the cows were all over the field so before we could (laughs) practice we had to chase the cows off the field (laughs) so it was like a reminder of where we were in pro
1: baseball Yeah, wouldn't that affect your hitting and stuff? I mean, could you even sleep?
0: Uh, you know, back then, once again uh, We were from the hard-knock school. We were happy to be there. We felt privileged to be there, and um, we didn't know better. You know, we didn't have the luxury of these indoor gyms and weight systems. Everything we did, we earned. Uh, Just having a field to play on was all that we, we could ask for.
1: Yeah. Well, 84, you split time uh, between two A-ball spots, Charleston and Fort Myers. Once again, you were on fire. You hit a combined 326. You were in the South Atlantic All-Star game as well. So let's start with that. You know, playing in Charleston, South Carolina, you played with guys like Gary Thurman and Seitzer and Melito Perez. You know, what do you remember about playing in Charleston? Well,
0: the Citadel um, Military Academy was in right field. And I think the thing I remember the most was all the military men would come down on their lunch hour and hang out in right field. And uh, I played right field there, and they'd all sit there and talk to me. And uh, I was having a very good year, so they all were telling me how I was going to get to the big leagues. And at that point, I didn't believe them. Uh, So, you know, it was just, once again, it was an honor to be there. And I had the most respect for the military people. That would come down and take time from their their schedule to watch us play. So I think the memory I have the most is uh, being honored that I was entertaining, you know, the military men who were putting their life and career, you know, life and careers uh, for us.
1: That's a beautiful town too. Lots of Southern bells down there too, right?
0: <laughs> it's a, when we were, when you play ball, you, you you go from the ballpark to the hotel to the ballpark, so you didn't get. You were around twenty five guys all day, so, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. didn't have time for the women. And back then, there you
1: go, there you go. Well, how about Fort Myers? Well, you know your m- m- memories of that half season there.
0: Well, I guess the most I remember, the best thing I remember about Fort Myers, it was uh, that was where the big league spring training camp was. So the play there was, you know, pretty neat because you were where all the big leaguers were. They also had the infield with astroturf. Back then there weren't many fields that were astroturf, so to have an infield that was astroturf, it was like playing in the big leagues, um, I was pretty, it was pretty intimidating because I played low A and then got called up, you know, to high A, and they weren't doing real well, so when I got there, the atmosphere wasn't real pleasant. Um, so when I got there, we started winning, so it got better, but uh, it was just, once again, it was coming from where I came from. It was just a privilege to be on the same field that major league players were on you know, just several months before.
1: Well, 1985, a big year for the Royals. They win the whole thing and a big year for you. You hit 305 for Memphis. That was fourth in the league, and you had a 27-game hitting streak that year. Do you remember that? I do remember that. Balls just finding holes everywhere, you know, one of those things?
0: Yeah, I mean, there was, you know, several situations where my streak was about to end and we were down three runs, I think one game I remember the most, we were down three runs, and came up uh, in the last inning with two guys on, and the worst hitter on our team was up, and I think he had two strikes on him, and anyway, he ended up hitting a home run to put us in extra innings, and uh, I came up in, I think, the 10th or 12th and got a base hit to continue my streak, but at that point, I think I was at whatever, however many games, but it was like, I thought it was over, and it was pretty exciting, to, you know, to continue it with, you know, afterwards in the dugout or in the clubhouse, to where, you know, this guy hits a home run. It's the only home run he hit all year. He was hitting two hundred, you know, and it was just, it was just a fun atmosphere to be around.
1: Who was that guy? Do you remember?
0: Um, Joe Satari.
1: Okay, yeah, he played at Omaha. Was he a catcher? Maybe first baseman. First baseman. Okay, He played at Omaha too. I remember that name. Uh, mm-hmm. So, what was the park in Memphis like? Was that was that an okay time? You know, play there? Overall? Yeah,
0: yeah, it was. Uh, uh, Fogelman owned that, uh, and at that time he was part owners for the Royals as well, and uh, so he took a lot of pride in that. Matter of fact, uh, when a big league team would break spring training, uh, they would play Memphis as a preseason game every year. So it was a it was a very nice field.
1: And then uh, your manager there, you played for several years, Tommy Jones. How'd you like playing for him?
0: Tommy was a fire plug. Um, no matter what you did, you could you could always done better. Um, he kept you motivated and kept you moving. You know, you thought you had a four for five game and you were doing okay in the clubhouse, and uh, he'd come in and let you know that was an important important thing. Was we lost? You know, I'd rather you got an 0 for four and. We won. So he was just always striving to get the most out of his players, and that's something I always respected. Well,
1: 1986 was your fourth year in Pro Bowl, and you'd now go four for four hitting 300 your first four seasons. You hit 303 this time in Omaha. So that first year in Omaha, anything stick out about that?
0: No, just, you know, um, that's where the College World Series were. So once again, I just felt honored to, uh, to be at a at a ballpark to where there was some history to it. Uh, being Triple A, you know, watching and following the Triple A College World Series every year, and knowing they were there at that ballpark, that um, I was I was a very lucky young man and blessed by God to be able to uh, be on the same ballpark as you know some colleges that. You know that was their that was their goal to begin the season to be there, and I was there every day playing there uh, for the Royals.
1: Well, 1987 in Omaha was really the only season of your entire career where your offensive numbers probably weren't where you wanted them. You finished at 256, but then you rebounded nicely in '88. You hit 287. So by that time, you're six years deep in the Royals system. You haven't gotten a call up. You know that September. So I mean, when you think back to the end of '87 and '88, did you start to wonder if you were going to make it to the big leagues at that point?
0: Yeah, I think after the first year in Triple A, they sent me to Instructional League, and they tried to convince me hitting 300 was, you know, was special. But they needed more home run production. They'd rather me hit lower numbers than hit more home runs. So they had me working on trying to just every at bat trying to hit the ball out of the park, uh, which wasn't the type of hitter I was. But they wanted, you know, they loved my defensive skills and they loved my hitting skills, and I think they believed I could still hit 300 and and put some home runs on the board. So it was kind of an exper- uh, experimental year the next couple years of trying to give up my average and trying to put up more home runs on the board. So it, it, it did, I felt like I was trying to be a player I wasn't. So um, it, it, it was a frustrating year, and it was, um, you know, at the end of the year, I didn't feel like I accomplished what I felt I could accomplish had I you know tried to be the hitter that i was
1: that i was well 1989 would be a real special year for you but before we talk about that so rosenblatt stadium in omaha was you know pretty close to where i grew up so i went to games there as a kid but when you think back to rosenblatt itself and the city of omaha how'd you like the city of omaha and just living around there
0: i loved it i loved it um people were very special they took me in and uh, took care of me. Of course, they called me the mayor there because I was there for so many years. <laughs> uh, that, that You know, the the families that were fans, every year they would come and meet me at the airport and take me to the apartments and take me to their house for dinner and take my kids to the zoo on days off, you know, so that well, my wife and I could go off and do what we needed to do. And they, they just took us in like their own kids. And you don't find that very often in, in baseball cities.
1: Well, you ultimately uh, made it to KC in 1989. All that hard work finally paid off. So you hit 278 in Omaha. KC gives you the September call up. So think back to that moment you first found out you were going to the show. Where were you at? Who told you? How'd you find out? Et cetera?
0: Well, we actually were on the road. We had taken a long, we had extra inning game and took a long bus ride uh, and arrived in Indianapolis. And I had not seen my family for a, about a month, I think. Uh, they came home, since Evansville was only a few hours from Indianapolis, and their plans were to come up to Indianapolis and watch me play. So we we pulled into the hotel room, and or to the hotel, and I walked up to the room, and my wife and daughter were in the room, and at that time the phone rung. No sooner did I walk in, and I think it was Sal Lynn. Lind- I'm trying to think of Sal Lindo.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Rendy is his name? Lindy, yes. Yeah. Had called me and said that, hey, are your bags unpacked? I said, not yet. He said, well, don't unpack them. You're, you need to be in Texas tonight for the game. Huh. So my wife started jumping up and down on the bed because she couldn't believe it because it's been so long. And I was kind of shocked shock and uh, said, okay, and hung up and called my parents, who also were there, and said, I'm not going to be at the game tonight. I'm heading to KC. So I think I kissed my wife goodbye, went down to the lobby, waited for the taxi, and off to the airport I went.
1: Oh, my gosh. So this was something that, I mean, had they talked about giving you a September call-up, or were you, I mean, totally floored by it didn't know it was coming?
0: No, I was floored by it. And actually, I don't think it was an actual September call-up. Oh, okay. Before that, it was because he called me and said, hey, made a point and said, this isn't a September call-up. They need you. They need your stick. They need your bat. They're, they're struggling right now. And uh, you're getting called up to help the team, not to, not to be around the team. So make sure when you get there, you realize you're going to be part of the team.
1: Oh, that's cool. Yeah, because they were in the middle of that pennant race with Oakland that year, mm-hmm. back in 89. So your, f- your first you know, major league at bat was obviously very memorable. But before we talk about that, you know, walking into a major league clubhouse the first time, do you remember what that was like?
0: I do, I do. Um, I mean, it, it's a long story. Everything that happened up until that time, but Nolan Ryan was actually pitching, so the you can imagine what the town was like. Uh, but the fans, I got there a little bit late. By the time I got to the airport and to the hotel room, and they were taking me to the ballpark, but the fans were just like a herd of cattle out in the parking lots, and we just had to slowly drive through them to get to the ballpark. Uh, And then, when they took me to the clubhouse, and I saw my uniform hanging in the locker, uh, an extra large locker from what I was used to, and seeing my name on the uniform and brand new boxes of shoes and batting gloves, uh, you know, outfits, sweat outfits, and t shirts, and all the attire that came with being a Major League Baseball player was was overwhelming. I felt like it was Christmas time, and uh, I think I was. Must have been there going through all the equipment and seeing my name on the shirts and everything that uh, Bo Jackson was in the locker room. getting He was DHing, but he was in the locker room kind of stretching and swinging and doing his thing. He said, are you going to get dressed and get a to the dugout or are you going to look at all your clothes all night? <laughs> so he, he kind of hit me with reality saying, hey, get dressed and let's go. You know, you're not here to uh, to receive Christmas gifts. You're here to put that uniform on and go put it to use.
1: <laughs> That's a great story. Well, I mean, who were some of the guys when you first got there? Were there some guys that kind of took you under their wing and helped you quite a bit?
0: Yeah, Kevin Seitzer, who I, you know, met at the at the very beginning of our draft uh, when I got drafted in, on the plane ride to Butte, Montana, I met Kevin on the airplane, and uh, we talked all the way there. Became roommates, became best friends about the whole minor leagues. He had been called up, so he was there. George Brett took me in. Uh, I knew all these guys from spring training, and uh, you know, throughout my years of, of being around the organization, in, in instructional league, and and that. But Brett Saberhagen, Mark Gubazad, uh, a guy named Kurt Steelwell. yeah. Um, you know, Willie Wilson, Frank White. They just, they all were good people, not just good baseball players, but they also were good people. They welcomed you uh, like you were one of them and not like they were above you.
1: Well, they gave you a nice welcome to the big league. So your first at-bats, a pinch hit appearance against Nolan Ryan. So you you get down to the count. This is how I understand it. You're down 0-2, 1-2 in the count, and you line a single to left field eventually. But what do you remember about that at-bat? Is is it true that you were actually thinking to yourself, well, he struck out 5,000 last month. What number am I going to be?
0: There's some truth to that. I think I was had a lot of thoughts going through my mind as I walked to the plate. I got some advice from George Brett to look fastballs, uh, first pitch. and uh, If I took it, he'd me another fastball. And if I took both those pitches and got 0-2, I asked him what I would could expect, and he said, a strikeout. Don't worry about it. If you get 0-2, your you're done. <laughs> so I kind of was looking fastball, but I was Somewhere else, mentally. So those two fastballs went by me, and next thing I know, I was 0-2, and I took time. I called time and stepped out, and I said, "Hey, it's just another at bat. Give yourself a chance and concentrate, and just do what you've done every day in BP and, and at practice, and uh, re- you know, relax yourself and and let it happen." So I got back in with a little more concentration and. Once again, uh, being blessed, I I was able to get a hit.
1: Another another fastball, I'm assuming?
0: No, I think it was a (laughs) curveball. I think I was looking fastball, and I think that's the one thing I was more, I think, proud of myself more than anything was I adjusted well to the pitch because you can't expect a 103-mile-an-hour fastball and not be ready for it and then get an off-speed pitch and still be able to... You know, so it, I think it was just meant to be. That's all I can think of.
1: Yeah. Did you get to keep the baseball, too?
0: I did. I right. did.
1: Well, speaking of great players like Nolan Ryan, you would also face off against your old childhood buddy Don Mattingly in the big leagues. What was that like?
0: It was kind of neat when I was in the big leagues, and we went in the Yankee Stadium, and I met Donnie in his Yankee Stadium, or in his Yankee uniform, and I was in my KC uniform. We had been teammates for so many years, and, uh, you know, to come out of the Kansas City Royal dugout and him coming out of the Yankee dugout, and we walked to home plate and shook hands. That was pretty neat.
1: That's so cool. That's so cool. Well, later that month, something else you were involved with. You also ended Cal Ripken's 47-game errorless streak. How did that happen?
0: Well, I was swinging the bat real well, and I hit a line drive in the in the between short and third. And what happened was a couple nights before. Uh, he actually had an error that should have been an error, I think, in my opinion, and they didn't give him an air; they gave him a hit so that his streak could continue and he break that streak. Well, when I came up, I hit the, it should have been a base hit. And there was a lot of controversy over that call, which they let it go. So he uh, he tried to backhand a, a line drive short, you know, short hopped him. He tried to backhand it in the in the hole, and it ricocheted off his gloves, so they gave me an air, and I was pretty upset about it because I think I was three for three, and I was like, that's ridiculous. That's a hit. How can they give me an air on that? And George Brett came and put his arm around me and said, hey, Schultze, if you got a hit right there, it don't mean anything. He said, but that air right there is going to put you in the, you know, put you on a lot of baseball cards and a lot of books. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, well, I hope they don't change it then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I went from, you know, wanting to change the hit to, worrying about whether or not they were going to change
1: it. Yeah, see, 25 years later, people are still asking you about it, so it worked out. That's
0: right. <laughs> right baseball card and everything else.
1: <laughs> now, you know, so 89 ends, you're heading into that off season. What have the Royals told you? I mean, had they said much to you about your future with the team in 1990?
0: Yeah. Uh, John Wapen came up to me at the end of the year and said, um, you know, I just want you to know you're here. As long as I'm here, you're going to be here. Um so don't plan on going anywhere doing anything.
1: Man, that would have meant a lot.
0: Yeah, until you got fired. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, so we get to that year, 1990. It's up and down. You're between Omaha and KC. Now, you got called up twice for Danny Tartable injuries that year. And, and is it true that I read somewhere that you were playing well for that month, but you had kidney stones and some other – you were hurt too, weren't you?
0: Yeah, I, I – uh, actually, Cal Ripken – I'd hit a, a ball over the fence and I jumped the fence and uh, busted my ribs on the top of the fence. And um, so I was hurt. So I played hurt and uh, that's when Woffin told me, Tarbo had a hurt foot too and they were trying to trade him. And he said, hey, I know you're hurt. I know you can't hardly swing. Go out there and do the best you can. We're not gonna worry about your performance. We know you can play and uh, just need you to go out there and do what you can do, you know, So that's what I did.
1: Well, you did a lot of good things that year. Um, July 20th against Boston, game one of a doubleheader, your only triple of your career, and it's off Roger Clemens. You remember that? I do.
0: Yeah, I do remember that. I got a uh, picture of the paper that has me sliding headfirst in the third with Wade Boggs holding the ball over my head.
1: (laughs) That's cool. Uh, and so you had some big hits off some big guys. Nolan Ryan, Roger Clemens, you seem to rise to the occasion off those fastball guys, huh?
0: Yeah, well, that was kind of a bad reputation to get because it seemed like every time we faced a really good pitcher, they would say, hey, you have a reputation hitting these guys, you're in there. <laughs> I was like, wait, wait a minute, what about the guys that aren't very good pitchers? Can I not face them too?
1: <laughs> That's great. Well, the, the 1990 team, by the way, so Sports Illustrated picks them to win the World Series. They have the highest payroll in baseball that year, which is near impossible to believe now, but... So, uh, you know, the team struggled a bit. Was that frustrating? You know, to see the team struggle, and what do you feel like the reasoning was for that?
0: I, you know, we had Gubazad and Saberhagen. And we had twenty game winners. I think uh, Mark Davis came over that year. He was the saves leader. Um, I don't know if it was team chemistry. I think they've got they got into some racial issues on a on a flight. One of our flights, uh, there were some people that got into a big altercation due to race, and they, that's what they accused it of, uh, the altercation. And I don't know if that just caused enough team dissension to divide the team, but if you don't have that team unity, you don't have much of a team. And baseball, as you know, as the Royals did this year, if you don't play as a team, you really can't compete. So if I had, if you forced me to give a explanation, I would have to say it was the team just didn't meld like it needed to meld to be a championship.
1: Yeah. Now, I, I like to ask all guys who played with a guy you mentioned earlier, Bo Jackson, this question. Wh- what's the most amazing thing you ever saw Bo Jackson do?
0: Um, I don't know if you would consider it amazing, but one of the things I remember the most was I was coaching first base and he had a chopper and ran it out, and I was I kind of leaned toward first base to see how close it was going to be and he came flying by me and actually scared me to death and the thought of him being a running back and going that kind of speed and having someone you know a small defensive back trying to stop him, I thought, holy cow, he could hurt somebody. He just was a massive individual of speed
1: <laughs> I love that guy man it seemed like it was something amazing all the time so end of 1990 John Sherholz resigns or sorry resigned to go to Atlanta and then uh, you and the Royals also parted ways at the end of 1990 so I mean how tough was that for you to walk away from the only team you never known
0: well it wasn't it wasn't that tough because they kept uh promising me you know an everyday starting job and I never could receive it uh Pittsburgh at that time told me um they were going to trade Barry Bonds, and I was going to be their starting left fielder uh, with Andy Van Slyke and Bobby Bonilla. So uh, I had a you know I had a a promise to be a starter, and uh, at that time it seemed like the Royals were kept going out and signing left-handed hitters. They had signed Pat Sheridan the year before, uh, Kirk Gibson the next year. Uh, there were just signs that. You know, they were looking for the big-name player, you know, signing Bo Jackson. So I just was ready to make a move to to a team that, you know, would consider me an everyday player.
1: Well, you ended up uh, in 1991, yeah, Pittsburgh. You went to Buffalo, you hit 300 again like you seem to always do. And then Pittsburgh, you got three at-bats there in May. I mean, were you disappointed then that year overall then about not getting more of a chance, I'm assuming?
0: Yeah, I was, but at, at that point, once again at spring training, during the trade talks, uh, that was the year Bobby, or Barry Bonds, was on his arbitration and lost his arbitration, and came to spring training uh, very disgruntled. And him and Leyland got into a big fight uh, at spring training, and uh, Barry called, you know told Jim Leyland that it was racial issues, that that's why he didn't win his arbitration. That, he went to the media and told the media that they were going to start trading all the black players and you know uh, signing white players. So they called me in and said, "Hey, look, with everything going on right now, we're not going to make any moves. We're going to keep it status quo. Uh, hang tight. Go down there and get yourself ready to come up, and we'll make this trade. And when things settle down, and you will be back up there." So that's what I was told, and then. I think that's the year Barry Bonds, Andy Van Slyke, and Bobby Bonilla, you have to look it up, but I think that's the year they all hit 300, one one-gold gloves, and <laughs> yeah. went to the pennant.
1: I think it was, too, yeah.
0: <laughs> God. So, it, it, you know, it was an unfortunate situation, but once again, they, their hands were tied with those three outfielders producing so well.
1: Yeah, well, gosh, you got stuck behind some good outfielders. In your time, so in 1992, heading into that year, you signed with the Reds. You split time between Nashville for Cincy and then Iowa for the Cubs. I mean, by, by this time, is baseball still fun for you? By are you kind of jaded by then?
0: Um, it was still fun. It was still fun. Cincinnati had called me, and I actually was going to break with the big league team. And two days left of spring training, Rob Dibble hit me with a fastball and broke uh, a bone in my hand. So they had to keep me at, you know, keep me. Um and extended spring training for that to heal, and then they, you know, sent me to Nashville. And um, the Reds struggled really bad that year, so they... Uh, Jim Bowden was the GM, and he was just up there just... He wasn't really big in the minors, going down to get the minors, he was more big in going out and getting other big league players from other teams, making trades, you know, free agents and stuff of that nature. So. Uh, I was in Nashville, and they traded me to the Cubs, which the Cubs at that point, knowing I was an infielder my whole life, I think they wanted to make me a third baseman, so they brought me to Des Moines to uh, to play third base.
1: Well, after that year, you went over to Italy, didn't you? Was that the next year in 93? Yes. How did you end up over there, and what was that experience like?
0: Well, I was ready to retire going into that year, and actually was going to retire after you know, my hand being broke, um, and then I just kept getting offers from Japan and in Italy, and talked to my family after I retired and got that offer, and uh, kind of used it. I thought, well, you know, how many opportunities do you have to go over, you know, go over to a country like that and play ball? And I made a few phone calls with people who had gone over there, and they said it's an experience you'll never ever forget, something that you know you need to do. I just took their took it upon their advice and accepted the contract and, and went over there to play.
1: How was the food over there? That's the most important question.
0: Uh, it was pasta. I mean, it was very very tasty.
1: No pizza, huh? Or, or different kind of pizza? I'm assuming.
0: It's a brick oven pizza. The pizza was very yeah. The pizza was real good. Uh, my kids ate that all the time, but I was the baseball players there. It was just a dish a tradition to to eat pasta.
1: Love it. Well, you'd give so, the big leagues, you know, one more final shot than a ninety-five. So you came to camp as a replacement player with the Royals, and you would have been a starting outfielder had the strike continued. So, you know, what what was that like? You know, from your side of things, because you also hear how how bitter and angry the players were. How, what was it like on your side, as far as the replacement level side of things?
0: Well, I had actually retired at that point. I I had accepted never to play again, and uh, they had called me. Art Stewart called me and asked me to, to come down there and play, I told him no. Uh, several weeks later, he called me back and said, hey, look, this is not, we're not going to break spring training. All we need is you to come down here. We want to kind of scare the, the players into believing that we're going to take these we play, players and start the season, and uh, we need big league players. We need names that, you know, can really uh, make them believe we're going to do this, and you're, you know, you being the player you were, I think we need players of your caliber. Uh, We'll pay you well, and you'll go down there for spring training, and, uh, you know, family can enjoy the beach and Florida life, and it's only a month, and then go back to your life. So I talked, it once again, I talked it over with my family and said, hey, it's not going to go any further than this. It'll be a month down in Florida. I'll play baseball. You guys can vacation, and then after that month, we'll come back home. So that—that that was my intentions, um, you know. That—that was my purpose of going down there for uh, that spring training for replacement year.
1: So, did they ever try to get you to stay on after that? And, and how did you perform that spring?
0: I actually—I once again, you can look this up. I think I set a record for most RBIs at spring training. Huh. Um, hit a bunch of home runs. You know, had that loose attitude played really well but once again i i had to find set of i'm just down here to have fun and and to play and then go home and start my life uh, they did you know they came after, they came to me after uh they broke and asked me to come back they were going to have a two to three week spring training and start the season and asked me to stay on and i said no no i'm done i'm going home
1: wow that's cool so, when you look back at your times in the Royals organization overall, what are you most proud of and what makes you happiest when you look back you know twenty five years later?
0: I just played hard. I mean, I think a lot of people think my injury caused my career to you know be altered, but it was just a player I grew up to be, and that was you know diving for balls and running into walls and uh, from the first pitch to the you know to the last out doing what I could to get that out or get that extra base hit or get on base or whatever it took to, to be a team player. I was never an individual. I never cared about my stats. I never cared about um, what I did. I more cared about whether we won or lost.
1: Well, do you stay in touch with any of your old former Royals teammates ever anymore?
0: Uh, every once in a while, I hate to say it, but if I need tickets or something like that, I'll make a call. But for the most part, me and, you know, Several thousand miles away, uh, for most of them, you, d- you don't stay in contact much. You go on with your life, and if and when you need something, you, d- you pick up the phone, and you're always, you know, you're always willing to answer or uh, help them out in any way you can.
1: Have you been back to KC since you left?
0: Uh, about five or six years ago, I did. I uh, went went and watched a game with my daughter.
1: Oh, cool. It's cool.
0: Might have been seven or eight years, actually. I don't know; it goes by fast. But um, one of my younger daughters is a big baseball fan. Actually, she was uh, she was on the field for Father Daughter Night, and she asked me to take her back, so I took her back. We went and watched the game. Unfortunately, she was a Detroit Tiger fan, so that's why we went so she watched the Tigers. <laughs> uh
1: oh. Well. Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: well, I guess the last thing for you in closing, what would you like to say, uh, you know, to the Royals fans listening right now?
0: Well, I just, you know, they had a great year. Um, I think the thing about the fans in KC that I'm most proud of is uh, how many years it took them to get there. And the fans were still backing them, and they continue to do that, no matter if they win or lose. Be a be a good fan. You know, they always talk about a baseball player being a good sport, whether you win or lose. And uh, I think that's what I always was proud about: Kansas City fans. They were good fans, whether they won or lost. Um, you know, they were good fans. So I just want to say that I think KC do has and and. And probably always will have the best fans because whether they win or lose, they're always backing their players. You know, and I would say keep that up.
1: You know, thanks so much for all your time and for all that you gave to the Royals organization. And you were a lot of fun for me to watch when I was growing up. And, you know, look forward to hopefully staying in touch and seeing you back in KC one of these days.
0: I appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Yeah, take care. Okay, bye-bye.